welcome back to you know what I've been wondering. I'm Sarah. I'm Jane. I always say to myself that I'm going to do a like little vocal warm up before we start, like maybe some diction exercises, and I never do. And then I listen back, and I'm like, oh my god, your diction, Sarah. What are you saying? <laughs> and now it's another week. <laughs> it's week. I think this is 92 of doing that. This is our like 90 second episode, Jane. We're so okay. close. We're so close to 100. It's actually insane. That is insane. Oh, if you had told me like, I don't know, three years ago that we would have 100 episodes of a podcast, I'd be like, okay, okay, that's gonna be a lot. But all right, I'm proud of us. I'm proud of no, us. Look at all we've done. Being pretty consistent. I know we didn't have an episode last week, but they were extenuating circumstances. Yes. Um, Sarah very kindly let me take a week because I um, sadly had a family member who was fighting COVID. And sadly, after we decided to cancel, he ended up passing away. So I've been dealing with, you know, some grief and some family stuff. Yeah. Um, so that is why we were not here last week. But I appreciate Y'all waiting and Sarah letting me take some time. Of course. And- I'm very sorry for your loss. I was watching um, Patton Oswalt's stand-up special. And oh. I'm a huge fan of his wife, Michelle, or his late wife, Michelle McNamara. Um, I loved her blog and I love her her books, like my favorite book ever. And I was watching the documentary that they made of her book. And in um, his stand-up special, he says, if one more person wishes me light on my healing journey, I am going to <laughs> throw them through a wall. And I was like, <laughs> Michelle McNamara had a very, very sudden death. But I do feel like this is how people whose family have passed away from COVID feel. Because it's so, like, it's just raging on and on and on. And... Really, up until this week, the government wasn't really doing anything. The federal government, at least. So. Yeah. I understand. I understand plan. all those feelings of anger and frustration. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Whatever. I keep, like, going rapidly back and forth between feeling, like, really sad and just really angry. Yeah, absolutely. That's a natural it didn't thing. need to happen, right. you know? Right. That's a natural thing to feel. And we were talking about this with our friends last week. And Laurel, who's been on the show, said, you know, in a, in a pandemic, there were going to be there were going to be deaths and there were going to be casualties because it was a deadly virus or it is a deadly virus. But just the scale and the magnitude of it all is so unnecessary. And that's what, that's what's so upsetting about it. It's that it's gone so much further. And I think, I think certain conservatives use the fact that it's a pandemic as an excuse to be like, well, of course people died. It's a pandemic, but it, it, really didn't it's gone so much further than it has needed to already you know well that's what i've been dealing with the past few weeks and obviously i'm not done dealing with but but you know but right. how are you saying? i'm good but yeah i got a new okay. haircut got some highlights very very thrilling i've never seen anybody rock a center part as well as she does <laughs> i do rock a center part now my i've got like layers and they frame my masked face it's very thrilling um, so that was my big my my big development in our week away, but I am ready to get started if you are. Sure, I think this is going to be an interesting combination of topics because mine I feel it like really is very is. serious and yours like silly. Mm. So we Sarah initially asked me to talk about Malcolm X when it was two weeks ago and it was closer to Martin Luther King Day. 
but I don't think that it's no. I, I think it's still relevant. Um, Absolutely, for the time of year, it's relevant. Because was just MLK Day and it's about to be Black History Month. And uh, if we learned anything from last year, it's that this is relevant all the time and like all of history, not just last year. But you know what I mean? It's an important topic. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad to have learned a little bit about Malcolm X. I always knew kind of what he was about in comparison to Martin Luther King, at least. But I didn't really know specifics. Mm -hmm. So Malcolm X was a leader in the civil rights movement, a minister, and a supporter of Black mm. nationalism. He was born as Malcolm Little in 1925 in Omaha, Nebraska. He was the son of a Baptist preacher. And sadly, his family was very frequently receiving threats from the KKK, so they had to move around a lot to try and get away from the KKK. And so when mm. he was six years old, because of that threat, his family moved to Lansing, Michigan. In 1931, shortly after they moved to Michigan, Malcolm X's father died. And it's believed that he was murdered by a white supremacist group called the Black Legionaries. Uh, but the authorities deny this. They think it was accidental, and they denied the little family death benefits but mm. I, I have a feeling that's probably not the case i think they were probably he probably was murdered by a white supremacist group unfortunately <laughs> so from a very early age not only did he have the experience of just being a black child in the 1930s but he was exposed to white supremacist violence right off the bat like it was his life immediately mm -hmm. After his father died, his mother suffered a nervous breakdown and Malcolm was placed into a foster home. And from there, he sort of bounced around in the system, uh, was in juvenile detention for a little bit. Um, and even though he was a highly intelligent child and a very good student, he ended up dropping out of school after the eighth grade. Now, this probably had to do with the fact that he attended a nearly all-white junior high and he you know, was not treated well by his white peers. And he even had an English teacher who was quoted to say when Malcolm X told him that he wanted to be a lawyer when he grew up, he said that being a lawyer was no realistic goal for an N-word. Oh, that's terrible. So, so it's not like he was, like, lazy and dropped out of school. Like, it's, school was not a good situation for him. Right. So sadly, Clearly. because of all that, he ended up pretty much on the street. He was a drug dealer. Um, he gained a reputation for wearing zoot suits and earned the nickname Detroit Red. And at the age of 21, he was sent to prison for larceny, which is fancy people speak for theft. While he was in prison, he discovered uh, the Lost Foundation of Islam, which is huh? a black nationalist group that believes that white people are the devil. That's not like their entire belief system, but that's... Mainly, they're like, white people are racist and treating us badly. Right. During this time, um, he decided that he no longer wanted to go by his birth name, Malcolm Little, because Little was the surname given to his family when they were brought to America as slaves. Uh-huh. So he decided to adopt the name Malcolm X, with the X being sort of a statement of rejecting his former surname, which was a slave name. Oh, After I didn't know that. That's a very interesting 
origin but cool i know i didn't even think of like oh x is my last name until i got to that part when i was reading about it i was like oh. i mean i knew it wasn't I knew it wasn't his given last name, but I didn't yeah. think about that as the reason that he picked that as his last name. But that's a cool reason. And especially because, like, picking X as the name, like, he could have picked some other random last name and people would have just assumed that was his last name. But because it's an X, it causes people to ask about it. Right. And it makes Which is it, very you know, powerful. Yeah, absolutely. So after six years in prison, he was released. And he became the minister of Mosque Number no. 7 in Harlem. And he quickly gained a pretty large following. Um, he was becoming really well-known for his oratory skills and for his sermons, which were pretty publicly calling for Black Americans to have the right of self-defense against white supremacists. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was considered to be on the opposite end of the spectrum of Martin Luther King Jr. because Martin Luther King Jr. called for complete nonviolence and peaceful protest. And Malcolm X believed in protecting Black people by any means necessary, uh, which is why he's considered kind of controversial. It's It's a similar topic to when we were talking about the Black Panthers and how they wanted the ability to carry guns so that they could protect protect themselves um it's it's a similar debate Mm -hmm. Uh, he was quoted to say whoever heard of angry revolutionists all harmonizing we shall overcome while tripping and swaying along arm in arm with the very people they were supposed to be angrily revolting against so it's kind of like how can we it's kind of like the counter argument when everybody's like oh well we need is unity and it's like well i don't want to unite with white supremacists you know yeah (laughs) we need to be Getting rid of the system that teaches people to be that way. Interestingly, for much of his life, he was opposed to integration. Not because he didn't believe that black people didn't deserve to have access to the same things as white people. But he just thinks that black people should be forced to live their lives amongst racist white people. Right. At one point, he even entered into secret negotiations with the KKK because it was thought that they could come up with some sort of mutually beneficial plan to keep the races separate because, you know, in to, to a lot of people, in a lot of people's minds, all white people were evil racists because that right. was, they were the one, you know, oppressing black people. So, right. Like it was almost this like utopian idea to not have to interact with all the racist people because of some of these same, I mean, he was, this was, for a long time, the FBI was constantly watching him. Starting yeah. from while he was still in prison, they began um, surveillance of him. But they literally watched him very closely his entire life. Uh, the informants who watched him said that he was a man of high moral character who neither smoked nor drank and was never late for an appointment. Mm. J. Edgar Hoover is quoted telling the FBI New York office to, quote, do something about Malcolm X. I've heard that before, which is terrible. In 1963, Malcolm X made a comment about the JFK assassination. Uh, The comment was the chickens were, he said that it was the chickens coming home to roost, basically saying that, I think what he was saying is you can't be surprised if a group that has been so oppressed for so long comes to a point of aggression after peaceful protest doesn't seem to be working. Um, But because of this comment, 
and it's seemingly like supporting of a violent assassination of a president. The Nation right. of Islam suspended Malcolm X. But at this point, um, Malcolm X was already becoming kind of disillusioned with the Nation of Islam, specifically the leader, Elijah Muhammad. Um, He found out that Muhammad had fathered several different illegitimate children, and that was directly against what he was doing. He also just thought that the organizations, the higher-ups of it, were becoming rather corrupt and not... Mm -hmm. um, with that expression, practicing what they preach. So oh, yeah. he decided to leave the Nation of Islam permanently. Oh. A few months following this decision, he traveled, he decided to travel to Mecca, where he experienced a spiritual transformation. Now, when we talk about Malcolm X, it's almost like there's like two different sides to him. There were his views before his trip to Mecca and his views after. Um, because they're very different in strategy, I say. He was quoted to say, while he was there, the true brotherhood I had seen had influenced me to recognize that anger can blind human vision. He returned to America with a new name. He called himself El-Haj Malik El-Shabazz, and I don't know why he's not referred to more often by this name. Malcolm X is probably just easier to remember. He said that he had already been going by Malik El-Shabazz, at least amongst other Muslims. It was his um, chosen name. It was the name that was on his passport. Um, Malik, I believe he chose because it's a Muslim name that sounds similar to Malcolm. And Shabazz is his wife, Dr. Betty Shabazz's last name. So Malik El-Shabazz, he sort of took her last name. Which is sweet. And yeah. Hajj is a word that means religious duty. And a Hajj is the the term for a religious pilgrimage to Mecca in the, in the Muslim faith. So his okay. name, Malik El-Shabazz, then fully El-Hajj Malik El-Shabazz. After this sort of spiritual... Rebaptism or reawakening or whatever you might want to might want to call it. Um, he returned to America and he had like a, he decided to drastically change his teachings. Um, he founded the organization of Afro American Unity, which identified racism and not the white race as the enemy of justice. So he formerly mm-hmm. believed white people were the problem, and now he was like, no, it's the problem is racism, not. <laughs> The race. Yes. Because he had developed this more moderate philosophy that more people agreed with, uh, more and more groups that were fighting for racial equality began to appreciate him and see him as an influential figure. Um, Not that he didn't already have a very large following, but even more so at this point. Um, His messages were particularly influential in the creation of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, or the SNCC, which was a group that was a collection of students, you know, protesting for racial equality. It was one of the more influential groups. In the early 1960s, Malcolm X began working with Alex Haley, who is the author of Roots, and together they wrote the autobiography of Malcolm X. It chronicled his life and his views on race, religion, and black nationalism. 
In the book, I thought this was a, a very interesting fact, he predicted that he would be assassinated young and that he would be a more important figure for the movement in death rather than in life. Shortly after writing that, before the book was even published, he was assassinated um, wow. by a black Muslim at an organization of Afro-American unity at a rally in New York City. Uh, his book was then published posthumously, and it became a bestseller, and it was it's the inspiration for several films, and it's, it's been, mm-hmm. you know, it's a very, it's a very good book. Right. Um, many speculate that the FBI was so suspicious of the Nation of Islam that they had many secret agents on the inside and had been, you know, watching Malcolm X and the people around him and the people involved in the Nation of Islam so much that there was no way that they didn't know about the assassination plot. Mm. And they believe that the FBI intentionally chose to turn a blind eye and allow it to happen. Yeah. Which is an unfortunate fact. That is. That's really sad. So ultimately, I think I more so identify with the views of Malcolm X after his trip to Mecca. But at the same time, I I think I, reading all of this stuff about his views before then, I, none of it was ever like, that's terrible. Like I totally, like I understand how he came to the conclusions that he came to. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Based off of his personal experiences. Yeah, exactly. And that's um, all we really so are, that, is yeah. personal experience, yeah. And at the same time, like, I don't know, it was like when we were talking about um, the Black Panthers a couple months ago, mm-hmm. I forgot exactly when that was, but it, he was really trying to protect his own people. I mean, he's right. He was threat of white supremacist violence his entire life. Like, I Absolutely. understand having that as this huge threat in your life and wanting to protect yourself and ha- helping other people to protect themselves from that and being allowed to do that. Absolutely. So, yeah. Yeah. Makes perfect sense to me why he felt he felt that that was the necessary course of action, you know. It's like the like the riots that happened over the summer. It's like I yeah. I understand why they felt that that was the course of action to take you know yeah that doesn't just happen miraculously people aren't just violent for violence sake you know absolutely they have to be incited to violence okay is that everything you have yes it is excellent since we're talking about politics and mine is not political in the slightest um transition us out of politics oh yeah i'm gonna try i'm gonna do a nice little transition um and for the middle segment today i would like to talk about some of the executive orders that have been passed in the first weeks of the first week of the biden presidency which like you know me saying these things and me reading things out isn't me trying to glorify biden for like doing his job but it's more (laughs) to like celebrate these like these reversals and sort of you know the paths that they can lead to and the good things that will happen to people because of them mm-hmm. which is important to acknowledge you know and i want everybody to in these devastating times feel at least a little bit of you know hope and solace so these are my little bits of hope for you this lovely article from nbc news breaks down all of the executive orders by day so i'm just going to tell you about some of the executive orders that have been passed so 
on day one, President Biden um, passed a memorandum that froze approval of rules that were passed in final days of Trump's presidency. Um, So any new and pending rules passed in the last days of Trump's tenure will have to be reviewed by the department and agency heads, which is good because who knows what he was trying to get through in his final crazed days, especially following the insurrection at the Capitol. Um, He signed an executive order rejoining the Paris Agreement on Climate Change, which we love. He passed an executive order to promote racial equality. Um, And what this means is that he ordered his government to conduct equity assessments of its agencies and reallocate resources to, quote, advance equity for all, which includes people of color and others who have been historically underserved, marginalized, and adversely affected by persistent poverty and inequality. Now, my criticism of this is that, like, that's cool that he said to do that, but, like, what are the actual structures in place to make that happen? But I do think that that was an important precedent to set on day one. Mm. He passed a proclamation that ended the ban on U.S. entry from majority Muslim countries. Thank God. Um, He passed an executive order requiring mask wearing on all federal properties, an executive order coordinating a government-wide COVID-19 response. I got, remember how I get those emails from the Trump administration or whatever? I got an email today that was like, Biden, you a mask mandate. It was like all about how it was like an infringement on our rights from the liberal oh elite. I was like, <laughs> I literally, my dad God was forbid, like, them. the government tried to keep you healthy. You know. them back. <laughs> I did. I was like, masks are good. <laughs> good for you. Good for you. He passed an executive order coordinating a government-wide COVID-19 response um, because the U.S. surpassed 400,000 COVID-19 deaths earlier this month. This order created the position of a COVID-19 response coordinator who is will, who will advise the president and oversee distribution of vaccines, tests, and other supplies, which is it, absolutely insane that that job didn't already exist. Executive order, um, he passed an executive order revising immigration enforcement policies, and he revoked the Trump-era policy that cracked down on communities shielding undocumented immigrants from deportation, and Biden vowed to, quote, protect national and border security and address the humanitarian challenges at the southern border. So, uh. so I feel a little wishy-washy on this point, but who knows? Well, I feel like you've got to hurry that one along. Like, there are children in cages. He passed an executive order on doing regulatory restrictions on federal agencies. Um, This was a Trump-era executive action that restricted how federal agencies make regulatory changes, including one measure that required agencies to discard two regulations for every one proposed, which is silly. He also passed an executive order which incorporated undocumented immigrants into the census, which is a huge deal because the census decides how we um, distribute electoral votes, which I would I want to get rid of the electoral college. But it still matters because in in cities where there were, you know, potentially a million undocumented immigrants or maybe hundreds of thousands, they weren't being counted in the number of people that are needed to represent them in government. And so now they actually will have better representation in government, which is a huge deal. He passed an executive order refocusing on the climate crisis and he canceled the Keystone XL permit, which we talked about um, at some point in 2020, I believe. Maybe that was 2019. I don't remember at this point, Uh, but we have talked about it. So if you want to know more about the Keystone pipeline, I talked about it in some episode at some time. 
Um, which that has been the biggest criticism of Trump of, I mean, Biden I've seen so far that people are like, he got rid of hundreds of thousands of jobs on the Keystone pipeline, but the Keystone pipeline is devastating for not only the environment, but for the indigenous communities that it runs through. And it was a very, very important thing to cancel their permit. So thank you. you. And that that same measure also restored. What'd you say? I know how we can get those jobs back. Solar roadways. I'm kidding. I'm Solar kidding. Solar roadways. <laughs> um, that same measure also restored several national monuments whose footprints were reduced by President Trump and paused oil and gas leasing in the Arctic National Wildlife Ref- Refuge, which is good. He passed an executive order banning discrimination on the basis of gender identity or sexual orientation. Um, and he passed a memorandum which revamped regulatory review. And he passed an executive order mandating an ethics pledge for government appointees. What that means is um, Trump, at the, on the final hour, tried to pass a bid to reverse ethics commitments for executive branch employees. But then Biden signed an order which required all government appointees to sign an ethics pledge prohibiting the acceptance of gift gifts from registered lobbyists and lobbying for at least two years after exiting the government, which is a really good thing. It's getting corporations out of the pockets of government. He issued a proclamation which pulled funds from the border wall, the famous wall. (laughs) He passed an executive order which paused federal student loan payments, passed a memorandum which reinstated um, deferred enforced enforced departure for Liberians um, and Liberian refugees. And he passed a memorandum which strengthened DACA, um, and he reaffirmed the program extra protections. That was day one. On day two, he passed an executive order which promoted COVID-19 safety in domestic and international travel, and he mandated mask wearing on all forms of public transportation, including airports, airplanes, and buses. He passed an executive order which expanded access to COVID-19 treatments, and he's worked with the Secretary of Health to support research on COVID-19 treatments and increased support for critical care and long-term care facilities like nursing homes, which have been among the hardest areas hit by the pandemic. He passed an executive order which promoted data-driven response to COVID-19. We love data. Passed a memorandum (laughs) supporting states' use of National Guard in COVID-19 response. So he directed the Secretaries of Defense and Homeland Homeland Security to support governor's deployment of the National Guard in efforts to prevent the spread of the coronavirus, which will be fully funded by the Federal Emergency Management Agency. He passed an executive order which strengthened public health supply chain. Um, He requested the heads of various departments to assess the nationwide availability of PPE and other resources needed to distribute COVID-19 tests and vaccines, as well as develop strategies to manufacture supplies for future pandemics and biological threats. Thinking ahead. He passed an executive order establishing COVID-19 Health Equity Task Force, and this task force is specifically supposed to Um, evaluate and respond to disparities in COVID-19 outcomes by race, ethnicity, and other factors, something that's been very much overlooked, but Black people have been disproportionately affected by the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Uh, He passed an executive order supporting the reopening and and continuing operation of schools, and this was done in in consultation with the Department of Health and Human Services, um, and the Department of Education will develop guidance for elementary and secondary schools in deciding when and how to reopen, how to remain open for in-person learning, and in safely conducting in-person learning. Considering Betsy DeVos did literally nothing. 
He passed an executive order promoting workplace safety amid the pandemic, and his order directed the Department of Labor to revise and issue new guidance for employers to promote the health and safety of their workers, such as mask wearing in the workplace. So that was just like a guidance. It wasn't an order, but it was like, hey, this is how to keep your employees safe, which if they don't know now, they probably don't care, but it's still good to be like, hey, remember, you should be doing this. He passed an executive order establishing a COVID-19 pandemic testing board, and this newly created pandemic testing board will coordinate national efforts to promote COVID-19 diagnostic, screening, and surveillance testing, as well as facilitate the distribution of free COVID-19 tests to those without comprehensive health insurance. That was day two. Day three, he issued an executive order expanding food assistance programs. He issued an executive order assisting veterans with debt. And in this order, he asked the Department of Veteran Affairs um, to consider a freeze on federal debt and overpayment collections from about 2 million veterans. He passed an executive order guaranteeing unemployment insurance for workers who refuse work due to COVID-19, which has really been underreported, but is super important because I know so many people who have been put in the situation that they need to work. They're not getting enough from unemployment. And the only places that are hiring are these places that are being unsafe. So they're working in an unsafe environment because if they turn down that job, they won't get unemployment. But now you can turn down a job. And list, like, the fact that they're not following COVID-19 safety precautions is the reason you can't work and you have a federally guaranteed right to still get unemployment after that. So that's very important. He passed an executive order establishing benefit delivery teams, um, and these people will coordinate the distribution of federal aid amid the pandemic because any federal aid that we have received so far has been sort of sporadic. Like, our friend, her dead grandmother received a stimulus check (laughs) and then was told to send it back but they knew she was dead it was like a whole thing so like they're trying to work out those sort of kinks in the system he passed an executive order facilitating the delivery of stimulus payments he passed an executive order to address COVID-19 economic relief um, and he ordered all government departments and agencies to promptly identify actions they can take within existing authorities to address the current economic crisis resulting from the pandemic And he also issued an executive order empowering federal workers and contractors. And this undid Trump-era regulations that rolled back protections for federal employees. And he revoked a variety of measures, including a rule that made it easier to hire and fire civil servants in policymaking positions. And this order also requested that the Department of Labor develop recommendations that all federal government employees receive a minimum wage of $15 an hour. Day six, because then there was a weekend. (laughs) Day six. He issued an executive order. (laughs) He issued an executive order reversing the transgender military ban. He issued a proclamation reinstating COVID-19 travel restrictions. Um, And this affected non-U.S. citizens traveling from Brazil and much of Europe. Um, And Trump had tried to get rid of this travel ban shortly before his term ended. Um, But Biden reinstated it because of particularly because of the more deadly strain of coronavirus that is going through Europe right now. And the ban will bar most non-U.S. citizens from entry if they have recently been in South Africa, where another new strain of COVID-19 has now been identified. And then finally, he an executive order promoting the Buy America agenda, and this executive order will require, um, will set requirements about purchasing products and services from U.S. workers and close loopholes that allow companies to offshore production um, while 
qualifying for domestic preferences. So essentially it rewards companies whose labor and products are being made and distributed all through American networks and not offloaded. Or if they are going to use offshore factories and offshore labor, then they're not going to get the benefits of, you know, tax breaks and things like that for it being produced in America. Um, So another important thing that will help boost the economy and also boost American jobs. Those are all the executive orders that Biden has passed so far. So again, it's not like, like, I don't want to sit here and be like, yay, Biden for like doing his job. But I do think that some very important laws have already been reversed and or put in place. And that does give me hope, at least, for the near future of this administration and their ability to handle the COVID-19 pandemic, which obviously there's so much on the plate and there's so much at stake for these next four years under this administration. But I think the most immediate threat is COVID-19 because COVID-19 is affecting our ability to do all sorts of other work around climate change issues, social justice issues, healthcare issues. I mean, COVID is a healthcare issue in itself. So the response so far, I've been pleasantly surprised with. Yeah, and I think it's just, even though he's not perfect, I'll agree with you there. I just think Mm -hmm. there's such a, like, the guy who we had before wasn't being president. We didn't have a president before. No, we had four years with just, yeah, with just mass hysteria, yeah. Yeah, he would, he, and who actively did not even have a coronavirus plan. So the fact that we didn't have a president before, and now we have a president who's at least trying to do things, is like right. such a difference. So that is all that on politics. Now we're going to talk about something that's purely fun. <laughs> and that is let's talk about fake celebrity relationships. <laughs> This is, like, so insane. Like, this is what I'm using my my degree for. I just think it's so interesting that for some reason we've decided, like, here's two celebrities. They're pretending to date. The fact that they're dating makes them more interesting to us. Like, like I'm part of it. Like, I I don't want to read an article about, like, two celebrities dating. I want to read about it. But it's like, I don't know why that is. I don't know why I feel that way. I don't know why that gives people attention. I'm deep in the driver's license, the driver's license, Olivia Rodrigo, Sabrina Carpenter drama. I'm deep in it. Like, I totally hear you. Driver's license is a beautiful song. Don't listen to it. We're banning. Get it. She wrote nothing with blonde. Anyway. This is what TikTok has done to me. So here are some celebrity couples whose relationships were considered to be publicity sons. And one of them, one of them is speculation that I will go into. But for the most part, these are things that I believe were fake and other people believe were fake. The first is Drake and Jennifer Lopez. They have a 17-year age difference between them, and the two of them were rumored to have dated for about two months in early 2017. Rumors of their relationship began with a snuggly Instagram post between the two, and then there was also a very snuggly Snapchat, um, after which these were posted, it appeared that Rihanna, who is Drake's ex, unfollowed Jennifer Lopez, which is, like, <gasps> like obviously, if obviously, like, I unfollowed my ex-boyfriend. Like, I would never follow. If, like, my friend started dating somebody I dated, I would also unfollow them. But it's just, like, the fact that it's Rihanna and Jennifer Lopez, the stakes feel so high, you know? 
News also circulated that the two spent New Year's Eve together at Drake's concert. Briefly before they broke up in February of 2017, videos were leaked of Drake and J-Lo dancing at what appeared to be a Winter Wonderland-themed prom, and the video did include a kiss between the two. People Magazine <gasps> also reported that Drake gifted J-Lo an 80,000-pound Tiffany Victoria necklace. But... Upon closer inspection of the videos from this supposed prom, you can hear the track behind them is definitely the two of them singing an unreleased song. Um, It's also highly doubtful that they attended a real-life prom of some sort together, and more (laughs) likely the videos that were taken were on the set of some music video for some song that they were going to release together. This is especially likely because Drake and Rihanna's song Work was one of the top songs of 2016 because the two of them were dating. And this happens a lot, a couple dates, and then they release a song together, and then that song becomes really big, like Senorita. Um, so it's not much of a stretch to believe that JLo's publicist would encourage her to date Drake and then release a song in order to like chart like that because Work was such a huge song. So mm-hmm. I I am of the belief that this was a staged relationship. I don't think it was real. Many speculate that the relationship between Kristen Stewart and Robert Pattinson was faked for Twilight publicity. Now, this is the one on this list that I actually do think is real. Some people believe it was fake. Um, the two did live together, but they were not big fans of public displays of affection. So even though they're always photographed together, there isn't a lot of like photos of them being affectionate with each other. And because Christian Stewart has now come out as gay, they were like, oh, he was her beard, all of these things. But... Well, what I'll also say is that Kristen was caught kissing the director of Snow White and the Hutzman, who was a married man, um, during the filming of the movie. And she issued a very public apology to the director, to the director's wife, and to Robert Pattinson, saying, like, I feel so sorry for him. I do love him. I feel so bad. And the two of them seemingly reconciled because of that. And they stayed together for two years after that happened. Oh, I was never together that long. Yeah, they were together for almost four years. They one of the reasons that people think it was fake is because they broke up like right after Breaking Dawn's release. So it was like they were waiting for Twilight to be over and then they could break up. The director of Twilight did say while they were filming the last movie or while they were filming Eclipse that he was just so hopeful that they wouldn't break up because that would make filming the last movie really impossible. Um, and he was so afraid that they would break up, and he was glad that they didn't until after the filming was over. And a lot of people say, like, they won awards for best on-screen kiss. They've they've no they've been noted for having incredible chemistry on screen. I have a lot mm-hmm. of issues with the Twilight movies, but I think I will agree with something that Kelsey once said to me that Kristen Stewart isn't a bad actress. She's actually performing Bella really well because Bella yes! is written to bland and unresponsive and i was like oh you're right so (laughs) like i don't think that was her fault but they were always like yeah they always have incredible on-screen chemistry which in later interviews robert pattinson has said it was because him and Kristen stewart had such a close relationship and because there was love and there was affection there and Kristen stewart in years since even in an interview last year for the howard stern show um insisted that their relationship was real and that she was very in love with him she thought he she was going to marry him and she said she's never been in a relationship that she didn't think would be the real deal she's just not that type of person and she's her nor robert pattinson have ever backed down from saying that it was a that it was a real relationship they've always 
insisted that it was real, their feelings were real, um, and that their privacy was just sort of a way to, like, stick it to the paparazzi. And Robert Pattinson is known to be very devious when it comes to paparazzi. (laughs) He is, like, he'll wear shirts with curse words on it so they won't take photos of him, especially when he was, like, a teen star and things like that. So... I, I think that does make sense. And once again, they did live together. Like, I just don't think, I don't think they could have faked a relationship for this long just for the sake of this movie series. Mm-hmm. I really don't. So I believe that their relationship was real. It was a real relationship. It was a real relationship. <laughs> <laughs> um, Tom Hiddleston and Taylor Swift's relationship was rumored to be fake. I'm, I'm like, iffy on this, I love Tom Hiddleston, and, like, part of me just really hopes that, like, Taylor Swift hooked up with Tom Hiddleston a couple of times, and they were like, that was fun, excuse me, and they were like, that was fun, and they moved on, but who knows, um, Tom, the photos of them kissing on a rock, which are, like, very famous, look pretty staged, as well as the photo of Tom Hiddleston in his famous I Heart TS t-shirt, which I love. Mm-hmm. This is also only one of many rumored fake relationships of Taylor Swift's, which I will go into in a little bit in a, in a little bit, but um, I will say that this one does seem more fake than other ones, particularly because she has to have a song that's about Tom Hiddleston, but I guess not. I don't really know. If there is a song about Tom Hiddleston, I don't know which one it is. Whereas, like, I know I could tell you a list of songs that are about Jake Gyllenhaal, <laughs> which makes me feel like, oh, this was more fake. And it also was, it was very, very brief. I don't know. I don't know how yeah. I feel about this. At the end of the day, this one doesn't really matter to me. I love Tom Hiddleston. He can do whatever he wants. Um, <laughs> not whatever well not whatever but in terms of who he dates like Listen. if she first of all if she did date him good for him good for good for her because he's gorgeous and if she didn't like no harm no foul you know kim kardashian 72 day marriage to basketball star chris humphreys is also rumored <laughs> to have been fake the two of them at the time of their marriage were sort of on the edges of fame like Kim Kardashian wasn't Kim Kardashian yet. She was just this reality star that some people knew who she was, but she wasn't a household name yet. Um, and Chris Humphrey was a good mm-hmm. basketball player, but he wasn't like an all-star. And so it would make sense from a publicity yep. perspective that the two of them getting married would sort of push them into the spotlight to be like, oh, what an interesting pairing and this celebrity relationship and this marriage, whatever. And then they like immediately got divorced. So it seems <laughs> likely that it was not real. The marriage between Renee Zellweger and Kenny Chesney is also thought to have been a publicity stunt. Rumors that Kenny Chesney is gay have been floating around since his divorce to Renee Zellweger. They met in 2005 and then were married very briefly four months later. Their marriage also only lasted four months, so they were together eight months total, including marriage. Um, And on Zellweger's filing (laughs) to annul the marriage, she cited quote fraud as the reason and this started the rumors that chesney is gay she's like it's a fraud it's a sham he doesn't want to marry a woman which is actually like that's just a term that you can use because annulment means that you have to say that the marriage was never legally viable so he's Mm -hmm. chesney stated later that the term fraud was used because he thought it to be a broad term because he didn't want to go into the litany of reasons that the marriage should be annulled. Um, And it seems to be the most appropriate word for their failed marriage, which he regrets later because 
now it fueled all these rumors about his sexuality. Um, but he claims their marriage failed because it was their first and they were unprepared for marriage and all of these things. But Renee Zellweger had just won an Oscar in 2003 um, for, uh, for Best Actress. And so it would make sense mm-hmm. for Chesney to marry her because that would get a lot of publicity because he was a rising star and she had just won this Oscar. So it would be this like very famous, very interesting marriage. So that does kind of seem like it was some sort of publicity stunt. They also got together very publicly. They were at an award show together and she was trying to pass him a note like they were in high school and it was like unsuccessful. So he came <laughs> over her. And so, like, lots of people witness them getting together, which is, I also think is kind of suspicious. You like me? Check yes, check no. Check no. <laughs> yes, check no. The marriage between Lisa Marie Presley, Elvis's daughter, and Michael Jackson was also almost certainly staged. According to Michael Jackson, the accusation of sexually abusing Jordan Chandler in 1993 caused him to turn to Lisa Marie for comfort, and he proposed to her over the phone a year later. So they just talked on the phone every day, and eventually he proposed. They were married only 20 days after she finalized her divorce to Danny Keough. Um, They did share a kiss on stage in 1994, but Gossip Collins reported their marriage was failing, and they were separated by December 1995, so their marriage lasted only a year and a half. According to one former employee of Michael Jackson's, he would spray Lisa Marie's underwear with perfume and throw it on his bedroom floor to make it look like they'd had sex. And Sandy Doms, who worked as an administrative assistant at the Neverland Ranch, told a CBS documentary Inside Edition that, quote, it didn't seem to be a natural relationship or friendship. And she also said, to my knowledge, she was never in there, referring to the bedroom. She was either in the Rose Room or had slept on the guest beds. Doesn't look great. And many believe that this was a publicity stunt to fix Jackson's public image following the sexual assault allegations against him to marry the daughter of Elvis Presley. Ugh, Back to uh, Finding Neverland, the do- not Finding Neverland, Leaving Neverland. Finding yeah. Neverland is a great movie. Leaving Neverland yeah. is a devastating documentary, but I recommend everybody watch it. I just feel like we moved on from that so quickly. Like, like we, we it just really seemed did. like... I mean, I know many places now that won't play Michael Jackson's music. Like, it's a big thing now to, like, really know. I haven't encountered that, but that's good. Yeah, I know, like, radio stations that won't. I know bands that won't. Like, uh, my friend has a party band. He plays, like, weddings and things like that. And he said that, like, his band no longer will play Michael Jackson, but he knows other people that have party bands and wedding bands, and they won't play Michael Jackson either. So that happened. Anyway, let's go back to Taylor Swift. So, yeah. many, many believe that Taylor Swift's relationship with Harry Styles was also a media stunt. Their relationship occurred in late 2012, which was just after the release of Take Me Home and Red, a One Direction and a Taylor Swift album, respectively. Mario <laughs> Lopez and E! News stated in that period that Harry had come to watch Taylor perform on The X Factor, and then he was swooning over her in rehearsals. But Harry at that time wasn't even in the same country. And this was like a big thing that had fueled their relationship. Like that they were in all these places together, but like they just weren't. Um, at the time, in 2012, gay rumors were really surrounding Harry. So his manager would probably encourage him to publicly date a woman because the managers of One Direction wanted Harry to have this womanizer persona. 
Harry was absolutely the fan favorite of One Direction. And at the time, Taylor Swift was trying to break into the pop genre. So it would be a very masterful pairing. It would work mutually in their favor from a management perspective. Mm-hmm. Some of the evidence that it was fake is that in the photos of them holding hands, and there are a couple, they're always standing really far apart, which is not something that you do if you, like, actually are intimate with the person that you're holding hands with. Like, if you look at pictures of real couples, like Leah Michelle and Corey Monteith, they're standing really close together. I saw a picture of Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone, couples that I really believe were together, and they're always standing really close together. Like, yes, they're holding hands, but their arms are touching, and these two are, like, always far apart. Like, always Mm -hmm. really, really spaced out. The video of their New Year's kiss is super awkward. It really looks staged, especially the angles from which the video was taken. It's just, like, not... It just doesn't make a lot of sense. It doesn't seem natural. Now, obviously, Taylor Swift has several songs that reference Harry. We've talked about the fact that they committed vehicular manslaughter together. And (laughs) Harry has also referenced Taylor Swift in his music as well. My theory is that the reason that they've written so many songs about each other is not because they had any sort of romantic involvement, was because they're actually referencing the media act that they were supposed to put on. <gasps> That's my theory. Juicy. Yeah. So, like, a mm. lot of people think Taylor Swift's song Ready For It is about Harry. Um, and she, like, in the lyrics, it says one of the, the, the repeated lyric in the bridge is baby let the games begin let the games begin and what i think that she's referencing in that song is the idea that since her and harry had broken up which is five years before by the time that song came out there was they had been swirling in this like media game because then all their interviews became about shading one another and interpreting songs to be about one another and sort of making digs at each other and i think that's the game that she's referring to this like publicity (laughs) stunt game not actually the like emotional turmoil of being in a relationship with somebody and i have other i have other lyrics that support this theory but i won't go into it (laughs) taylor swift taylor swift is incredibly smart i think she's a genius and she knew writing songs and then hinting that they were about Harry Styles would sell millions of records, and they did. Out of the Woods, major song. Wildest Dreams, major song. Style, major song. All of those were on 1989, and 1989 ended up winning three Grammy Awards, an album in which many tracks hint to being about being about Harry Styles. Mm. So this, I, like, I really, truly believe that they never dated, and, like, they both have said lovely things about each other, like, Yes, they've written songs about each other, but, like, Harry Styles has said that he really appreciates the music Taylor Swift has written about him and that he thinks he's a, she's a very talented songwriter. And I am now at the point that I'm, like, I think that they're in on it together. Like, that's my personal theory. <laughs> I think they're just, like, fueling this because they're, like, well, this is fun, you know? I so- Yeah. I love my divorced parents. I'd be happy if they were really yeah. friends. <laughs> yeah, my divorced parents. Which brings us... To the hot topic of 2021, Harry <laughs> Styles and Olivia Wilde. <laughs> I'm going to say this, and this is my opinion, but uh-huh. I believe it is the right opinion. I do not think Harry Styles and Olivia Wilde are dating. Here's why. Photos of the two of them holding hands were first leaked on January 4th, 2021. A Daily Mail article featuring those photos was published around noon Eastern Standard Time with the photo 
with a photo of the two seemingly returning to Harry's home together. And in the article, the author, Rebecca Davidson, claimed the two of them were dating after growing close on the set of their movie, Don't Worry Darling, which Olivia is directing and Harry is starring in. And they can't wait for this movie. <laughs> An hour after this Daily Mail article is published on the 4th, more photos of the two of them holding hands at Harry's manager's wedding were leaked. Now, God may work hard, but Harry stands work harder. Jeff Azoff, who was Harry's manager that got married, got married in November of 2020. And the paparazzi photos that were leaked were said to have been taken only two days before the article was published. And another article from Just Jared titled Harry Styles and Olivia Wilde Hold Hands at His Manager's Wedding was published four hours before the photos were leaked. So clearly this was put into some sort of like press release, like, hey, put out this information out there. Which, to me, says that this is clearly a publicity stunt. And here are some more reasons why I think this. <laughs> I love this. Why would the paparazzi be at a manager's wedding? Like, small fish, you know? Unless someone called them there knowing Harry and Olivia would be there together. They would have no reason to suspect anything. They would just be like, this man's getting married, whatever, and leave it. Harry mm-hmm. and Olivia were also the only two people photographed by the paparazzi at the wedding. So even if there were other famous people there, we don't know. Only Harry and Olivia were photographed. There was not even paparazzi photos from of the bride and the group. Literally just Harry and Olivia. Mm. Paparazzi are also not allowed on private property, which makes it more likely that that particular photo was staged so they were like, oh, call the paparazzi, tell them to stand on the street. Harry and Olivia go walk by the public street. <laughs> but the photos that are being leaked are being copyrighted, which means they were taken by a private photographer on private property. Paparazzi cannot copyright photos. And if it's taken on private property, the photographer must get permission to be there and permission to publish the photo. So whoever took that photo had authorized permission to take that photo, and the person that authorized permission to take the photo also authorized permission to leak the photo, all of which points back to Jeff Azoff. Azoff? I have no idea. I don't Uh know how to say his last name. Jeff. I feel like I'm that meme right now that's like the galaxy brain. (laughs) Yeah, that's truly how I feel. Glowing red eyes. Yeah, it's truly how I feel. At that same wedding, Harry was photographed wearing a robe with the hotel's name on it, that, I think, was, like, an official wedding photo that got leaked. But Harry in the, Harry in the robe officiating his manager's wedding. Iconic. <laughs> and one fan, again, Harry stands work harder, called that hotel. And the hotel stated that they haven't had any events since the first week of December 2020 because of additional COVID-19 restrictions, which makes it even more unlikely that the photo, photo of a, Harry and Olivia was snapped in January. It has to be from November. And why would the paparazzi be at this wedding unless they were called there? Like, Jeff called them. He called them. He said, come here. I've, I'm gonna, we're going to take a photo. We're going to take a picture. I swear to God. I swear to God that's what happened. Sort of, come here. Sort of, come here. Sort of, a few days later, Daily Mail claimed Olivia was driving Carrie's car. This is just, like, bad reporting, which is a black Range Rover, which so many people have black Range Rovers. Like, Shane Madej has a black Ranger. I don't know. But the same day, 
photos were leaked of Harry on a hike in LA in which he's holding his car keys. So Olivia couldn't have been driving his Range Rover. It's just like, it's just like stupid bad reporting. I just can't. Um, and this is what I this is this is what I think is the real root of the issue, is that clearly the managers are trying to sell us that Harry and Olivia are dating to you know make him seem like this like bad boy womanizer dating his director whatever be and be like they held hands proof. But I would like to point out that Lizzo and Harry have been in public holding hands multiple times and have made many sexual jokes towards each other and gotten very cuddly in public on multiple occasions but because of her appearance everyone always assumes that they're just friends it's like oh well he can't be dating lizzo not lizzo but they've been more like intimate together in public than him and olivia i totally agree and that's not even saying like i believe harry and lizzo are together it's just such a double standard it is it is harry and Niall have also been seen holding hands in public. Harry and James <laughs> Corden, who he has kissed on television more than once. And <laughs> Harry and Stevie Nicks have all been seen holding hands together. And in none of these situations was it assumed that they were in a relationship. People were just like, oh, they're friends. So many believe that this rumor is being perpetuated due to, like, the bias towards conventional beauty and being like, oh, well, we love when hot people date. And also, it could easily be a publicity stunt to fuel Harry Styles's image as a, like, hot womanizer that clearly his manager wants him to perpetuate. And this image that he's had put on him since he was literally 16 years old. Even though, yeah. like, in his behavior and in his statements, it does seem that there is more to Harry's sexuality than just heterosexuality. And we don't know exactly what that is. Um, and I don't yeah. want to make judgment just based off of how he dresses. But, like, there's definitely enough to speculate that he is not entirely straight and that would be absolutely fine. So it seems like they're just pushing extra hard to be like, no, 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 this is a straight boy so that like young girls and young women will continue to be in love with him. But like, I would love him more if he was like, I'm bisexual <laughs> personally. That's not going to stop me. <laughs> if he's not straight, that won't stop me. Right. Like I, I'm in love with him literally no matter what. Yeah. The man with the floppy hair and the floral suits. Love him. I was literally thinking about him earlier today, and I was trying to, like, I was trying so hard to picture him in, like, any other job. Mm -hmm. Like, like, I just don't think he could, like, like, I'm picturing him, like, behind the counter at a restaurant. I was like, no, it wouldn't work. Like, him in, like, a suit in an office wouldn't work. Like, nothing, he couldn't do anything but what he does. But the last thing that I'll say about this is that in this particular case of Harry and Olivia, a lot of content was released about them very quickly, which makes it even more likely for things to have been staged and planned. Like they were stockpiling things that they could release. And now it's like, okay, here we go. You can have all of it, which in my, in my opinion, just makes them more suspicious. <laughs> Conspiracy theory brain be like. Truly. And that is my detective work on Harry Styles and Olivia Wilde. Okay, so that is everything we have <laughs> this week. Thank you so much for listening. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at YKWIBW Podcast. You can check out our website, I've been wondering.com. If you like what you're hearing, please consider giving us a five-star review on iTunes. And finally, if you have something that you've been wondering, you can email us at I've been wondering podcast at gmail.com. Jane, you know what I've been wondering? 
What have you been wondering, Sarah? So I've recently gotten very into the show Snowpiercer, and I also love the movie by Bong Joon Ho <laughs> because I'm a big fan of his work. And the series is really good. If you haven't watched it, I highly recommend it. It premieres tonight. This is not an ad, but I just like good content. And Davi Diggs. I liked it. Yeah, it's really good. And Davi Diggs stars in it. He's very good. So I highly recommend. Anyway, so I the the premise of Snowpiercer is that there's this train and it moves around the earth because it's a negative 117 degrees outside. And if the train stops and they all die, and it's like the last of humanity's is on that train. And I just want to know, like, is that, like, scientifically viable? That, like, if something <laughs> keeps moving, it won't Like freeze? a perpetual motion. Yeah. yeah. Like, I want to know about, like, the science behind Snowpiercer. Like, how accurate is that science? The thing about that movie that bothered me was just that the way that the train is set up, it doesn't look like there's any like side hallways or anything it's like the only way to get yeah the car is like so i don't understand why like there's not more like people that they're like inner like it's just them going to the front like everyone like, i don't know you think that like so you're telling me like all those soldiers and stuff go through those that little kid classroom every day like, like <laughs> yep <laughs> It's just kind of the same way. I'm like, wow, you just got to walk through all that? <laughs> and yes, they do. They just got to walk through all that. <laughs> it's a it's a train. <laughs> oh, boy. So, yeah, that's my that's what I've been wondering. OK, this is going to be kind of weird and random, but OK, here goes. That's fine. I love weird and random. Sarah, do you know what I've been wondering? <laughs> what have you been wondering, Jane? I've seen this thing on TikTok lately that I don't really understand what it is, but so many people are talking about it, and that is shifting. And I'd like for you to do some digging into it. It's apparently like letting your conscious mind go into a different reality. Oh, I feel like this is going to freak me out. I'll look it up, but I think I'm going to get freaked out. Literally all it seems like it is to me is just like setting a time meditation, setting aside meditation time where you just like pretend you're in another universe, which is like, oh, oh okay. I into that. All right. But apparently a lot of people are doing it to like pretend that they're going to Hogwarts and Draco Malfoy is their boyfriend. And of course that would happen. Speaking of Draco Malfoy, the other night I watched Anna and the King with my roommate, which is a non-musical version of The King and I, um, and we watched the one with Jodie Foster from 1999, <laughs> and Tom Felton is in it as her son. He's like eight. He's so cute. Oh. He's so little. I was like, you are so adorable. It brought me joy. Uh, yes, I absolutely will talk about shifting. I'm happy to do that. All right, yeah. that's what's coming at you next week. Thank you so much for listening. This is You Know What I've Been Wondering.